Hi all, welcome to Stoa Conversations. This is our 100th episode. Thanks for listening this far. In this conversation, Michael and I decided to celebrate by discussing Marcus Aurelius's Meditations 2.1. It's one of the best encapsulations of Stoic theory and practice. And of course, if you're getting value out of what we've done so far this year, please leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Share the podcast with a friend or communities of people interested in Stoicism, philosophy, especially philosophy as a way of life. And send us a note to stoa at stoameditation.com. We read all of our emails and have had a number of guests on and conversations because of listener requests. So questions, comments, or requests, ideas, always appreciated. Here is our conversation. Welcome to Stoic Conversations. My name is Caleb Monteveros. And I'm Michael Tremblay. And today we are going to be talking about Marcus Aurelius's meditations. We're going to be doing a reading through 2.1. That's the very beginning of Marcus Aurelius's second book from the meditation, second notebook. Yeah, and this is one of those, for those, once we start reading it, most of you will probably be familiar with it. If not, um, that's great. It's, it's, it's a one worth getting familiar with, but it's one of those paragraphs that um, so much of, it covers so much of Stoicism. Um, it touches on so many different parts from the ethics to the, to the worldview. So there's a, there's a lot of Stoic wisdom in this one paragraph. And so taking the time to pull it out bit by bit and discuss some of the implications of what Marcus talks about here. Yeah, absolutely. The first time I, I read this, I didn't recognize how much of Stoicism was encapsulated in mm-hmm. it. Um, and then also it wasn't until later that I realized some of the references that Marcus was, was making here. Uh, so what we'll do is we'll read through it, tease out some of that Stoic background uh, as we do so, and maybe connect it to what, whatever else comes up to our practice or, or, or philosophical thoughts. And that's one of the best things about Stoicism, I would say, is the first time you read it, it seems like common sense, or it seems like, oh, this, this just makes sense. This is good advice. Uh, but then there's, uh, there's always many deeper ideas behind it. Uh, so we'll try to hit it at both those levels. Yep. Yep. All right. You ready? Let's do it. Born ready. Very excited <laughs> to deep dive. All right. Uh, y'all can't see it, but Michael's ready to do some textual analysis. <laughs> this pumps me up. <laughs> so I'll, I'll read from Robin Waterfield's new translation. There are plenty of fine translations of meditations, but I've been, I've been using this one as a, a reference source lately. Uh, so I'll read, I'll read from this one, and we'll see how far we get. At the start of the day, tell yourself, I shall meet people who are officious, ungrateful, abusive, treacherous, malicious, and selfish. In every case, they've got like this because of their ignorance of good and bad. But I have seen goodness and badness for what they are, and I know that what is good is what is morally right, and what is bad is what is morally wrong. And I've seen the true nature of the wrongdoer himself and know that he's related to me, not in the sense that we share blood and seed, 
but by virtue of the fact that we both partake of the same intelligence, and so of a portion of the divine. None of them can harm me anyway, because none of them can infect me with immorality, nor can I become angry with someone who is related to me or hate him, because we are born to work together like feet or hands or eyelids, like the rows of upper and lower teeth. To work against each other is therefore unnatural, and anger and rejection count as working against. Nice. Yeah, so that's the full section from Meditations 2.1. That's the complete passage, as it were. And right from the start, you have this idea of practice at the start of the day, at the beginning of your day. Remind yourself of the following, that you're going to meet with people who will prove to be obstacles, or you think of people who are imperfect. And that connects to this first Stoic idea of premeditatio morlorum, the visualization, the preparation for meeting obstacles. Premeditatio morlorum, that just means premeditating on evils, but you could think of it as negative visualization. And doing that for the sake of, uh, I think as you can see in this passage, you do it for, for multiple reasons. One is just to sort of practically prepare yourself, psychologically prepare yourself for that, but also for the sake of bringing to mind an obstacle and discerning its character, its actual character. You know, when you're meeting someone who is ungrateful or abusive, what, what's actually happening? What's the stoic account of what's going on in that, in that case? And that's, that's what Marcus goes on to continue to describe. But I think in the very first sentence, you have this idea of pre-meditatio malorum. You have this idea of practice. You know, this is something that one does at a specific time of the day to prepare oneself to uh, live well. Yeah, there's in the, in the premeditatio malorum. I mean, as you said, there's two parts to it. There's verse first, you know, understand those things that you're afraid of that you think could happen, get a grasp for what they really are, and I think that's where the second sentence goes. But that first sentence is just don't be surprised, be prepared, have it on your radar, be aware of its eventuality, and that I think is the you know when you wake in the morning. That idea of you need to kind of put on a frame of reference. You need to you need to um, mental. It, it, it's not preparation because I mean it is preparation in the sense. But when we think of preparation, we think of it as I don't know. I sometimes think of it as adding something new. Like oh, I'm preparing for a race. I'm going to train my body over time. It's not like that. It, it's it, it's really like a focusing of your attention. So you're preparing. Because you're 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 less likely to be offended, but you're not adding any. You're not really adding new information. You're just refocusing your attention. You might have forgot that there are selfish, arrogant, you know, deceitful people in the world, and you need to really you need to refocus that so the first time it comes at you, it doesn't catch you unaware. Um, and and I think that's a. I mean, that's a that's a common Stoic practice though of using your attention. Um, as a tool, as one of the most valuable tools you have for navigating your life successfully. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, I suppose using your attention, seeing things at the right scale, such that you aren't s surprised. And I suppose what what I what I mean yeah. by that is, one way to wake up and start going about your day is 
think about you if you're very systematic, maybe thinking about a specific plan, I'm going to do this and this and this and so on. Uh, just maybe you might do this almost in a conscious way via some routine uh, and often either out of a sense of rigidness or sort of almost um, unreflective easygoingness, perhaps one could say, uh, or unreflective ease, we end up being surprised when yeah. uh, something emerges. And I think one of the key stoic psychological insights is that surprise is behind many of our negative emotions. Why do we get, we would be less upset in traffic if we just expected to encounter it. It's traffic is just something that happens when, when one drives. But it's you know maybe mo most frustrating when it's something we hadn't reminded ourselves uh, exists. Yeah, I mean I think that's dead on. Another thing, another thing I was thinking of in, in in a physical metaphor. There's this description, or people sometimes talk about the difference between health and hygiene. Health being something that you develop over time. Hygiene is being almost like a maintenance. You know, like you you you've got to brush your teeth every day as your hygiene. Uh, and then if you don't do that, that's going to have long-term implications on your health. And I can kind of think of this, you know, wake up in the morning and tell yourself that like shitty people exist and you're going to bump into them. That's not really like, it's not health in some kind of profound way, but it's, it's almost thinking about that as like a hygiene. Like, you know, you're not, you're not just, um, you're not just brushing your teeth and having a shower, but you're also doing your mental hygiene, getting that prepared for the day. Uh, and if you don't do that long enough, you know, your health will suffer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the next sentence Marcus adds is in every case they've got like this because of their ignorance of good and bad. And in a sense, you might think the beginning opens almost on in a pessimistic note, you know, remind yourself that terrible people exist is one gloss on it. But the, Next step Marcus makes shows that I think that's a mistaken reading. So he, he notes that there, people, they're going to have these specific, specific vices. So they'll, they'll be malicious, they'll be selfish, certainly something he's got to deal with as a politician. But they're like this out of ignorance, not out of some inherent flawed character or something of this of this nature and i think that needs some to, to explain that a little bit more one of the key stoic one of the ideas the stoics have about our motivations is that everyone is trying to do good by their own lights and that's something we shouldn't shouldn't forget so if you think about robin waterfield has a nice nice example here you think about someone who's enjoys smoking on a stoic account they don't uh, enjoy smoking because they believe it's bad for them. They think it's good for them in certain respects, which is why they do it. They value the pleasure that comes from smoking and they are more attached to that pleasure than they are to judgments about uh, their long-term health. So likewise, people who are malicious or selfish have mistaken beliefs about what is what is good for them and we can think about them uh, in the same way one can think about the smoker who's confused about about their welfare yeah so it, if in the first line we get practice premeditatio malorum 
kind of daily rituals. In the second line, we get intellectualism, or which is which is as as you said, the view that everybody's trying to reach for their conception of the good. Uh, you know, someone's selfish because they think, well, it's better to serve my own interests, or they have some sort of mistake of, well, if I'm not selfish, this person's going to screw me over first. You know, if I if I don't get them, they're going to get me. They have some sort of uh, mistaken mistaken worldview. Or they think, you know, what matters is my success more than if I harm other people. People have the, they're ignorant. And what we mean by ignorant is in a literal stoic sense is like they lack knowledge. Yeah. Uh, so they, they, they're, they're ignorant in that they, they don't know the truth of the fact, which is that uh, for the stoics, you know, that, that what is most important is your character. And so because you've prioritized other things or because you have, you, you have mistaken beliefs, you come up, you you have a, a poor character. I'm almost skipping ahead a bit, so I mean, stop me if I'm getting too excited. But there is also this, like, um, you alluded to this a bit. In this, there's this idea that we're we're all the same. So all the bad people and all the good people, we're all the same. We're all trying to pursue our conceptions of the good, and so we're all the same kind of people. Some of us are more ignorant than others. Some of us are more knowledgeable than others, but we're all the same type. And that really, I think it's something beautiful about Stoicism. It really gets away from this kind of us versus them thinking. You know, the Stoics say other things about how we're all, everybody except the sage is equally vicious or everybody except the sage is ignorant. There's not like, it's not like there's good people and bad people inherently. We're all trying to pursue our conception of the good and some people are more have less knowledge than others. But we don't really talk about that in the, in this in this podcast, Caleb. But I think there is that kind of prevalent thinking, at least in at least in um, I don't know, at least in my friend group or in people that I've encountered. This idea of like some people are just bad people, um, some people are rotten, or some people are wrong, and this really I think it pushes back against that. At the very least, it recontextualizes that, uh, but I think it pu- pushes back uh, against that. And so it, it it's encourages you not to use us versus them thinking, even though you've just acknowledged all these negative qualities with people you're going to encounter. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I think I think in the if you think about some of the worst cases of vice or terrible behavior, I think what the the Stoics would urge is to see people who do these terrible things as ignorant. Uh, people who don't know how to live well and thereby bring misery on themselves and others. Yeah. And almost like people who you one should have a similar attitude towards people who are seriously physically sick or physically disabled. Um, not, of course, the exact same, but the uh, analogy is made. I think you know, Epictetus will make this analogy explicit that you know some people are physically blind other people are morally blind they don't know what's good for themselves or for others and it's that move as opposed to perhaps thinking of someone as uh inherently on the wrong side right they might Mm -hmm. be possessed in certain ways but you do you have that idea that in different spiritual traditions that someone is aligned with the wrong force they've chosen to be on, on the wrong side and now they're tainted. That's that's who they are. 
whereas that's not exact that's not how the, how the stoics would frame it mm-hmm. which is nice <laughs> it's like you know evil people but like you could you could as you say you say you could frame this as i'm put on your shield put on your armor against the enemy you know but we get that first line of prepare yourself but the second line is not you know as we'll see we'll get into it more but they're not your enemies you know that's the second part too you got to prepare yourself but they're not they're not your enemies yeah yeah I think there's 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 always the issue are some people curable or not and I think the stoics have different takes on that but regardless if you get into our normal lives and modern um modern countries we're encountering people who you know yeah are, are malicious and selfish often we have these sorts of traits ourselves and taking on this frame as these sorts of things are done out of a matter of ignorance or imperfection, not and not immediately moving to as as you said the mm-hmm. us versus them type nature of things, but always thinking about how can we and we'll get to this later as well. But how can we cooperate as as a whole as a social creatures that yeah. we are? And so so the next line we have from Marcus Aurelius is, "But I have seen goodness and badness for what they are." And I know what is good and what is morally right. And what is bad is what is morally wrong. So if you think back to the example of the smoker, a smoker, someone's confused about what's ultimately good for them. Maybe they, they just value that, that pleasure. Marcus Aurelius is saying, but I know what's good for me is virtue, essentially living in accordance with nature. And because of that, he continues, and I've seen the, the, I've seen the true nature of the wrongdoer himself and know that he's related to me, not in the sense that we share blood and seed, but by virtue of the fact that we both partake of the same intelligence and so of a portion of the divine. He knows what's good, be virtuous, and that means showing virtue with respect to the rest of humanity living well with the people who are ungrateful and abusive, a, a high charge. And this, this idea about sharing us all being kin um, or, you know, sharing, being related, n- not physically related, not literally related, but, but we all share in the divine. This connects to a couple things. I mean, one, it connects to this idea of cosmopolitanism, which, you know, for a, for a philosophy founded in, the Greek city-states like Athens, where they were polises, poli. They're uh, to say that your your polis is the cosmos, right? To say that your city is the whole universe. We're all citizens of uh, humankind, essentially. Not even humankind, because that limits it. We're all we're all citizens of the universe, right? Um, and so we all have a kind of obligations to each other, the same way that Athenians would protect Athenians, and maybe they'd fight Spartans something like this, we actually have those obligations to all of our pe- to all people. A- and everyone is everyone in that way is our, you know, our brother, our sister, our family in a certain sense. And this also connects with a metaphysical, and this is what you were saying about how so much of Stoicism is in this. There's a metaphysical argument here. Um, so the Stoic actually thought that basically they were physicalists, so everything is everything is is matter. And but there's different types. There's different types of matter, um, and 
you know you you have inert matter or something like that's like a, a rock um and then maybe you have something like a plant that grows and something like an animal that has sense experience and then the 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 highest the most divine form of this was what was found in our psyche or human souls which is really just our minds was this capacity to reason and reflect this was the most divine uh really physical matter in the universe it was it was considered to be on par with um with god and so that's what he means about you know we actually have a share of the divine in us is that we have a little piece of this godlike matter and quality this ability to reflect be self-conscious consider our decisions and we share that with all people and sometimes that goes wrong some that's why that's when people don't understand good and bad but it's something that we all share and i mean that's what he's referencing to it, it, it's easy to see these things and say we all possess a sh- uh, we all um you know share in the divine or have a have a share of the divine does and think of that as some sort of you know well, that's kind of nice it's a nice metaphor or, uh allegory or analogy or whatever you want to call it. but it's like no he's like he's literally describing stoic theory there right the fact that we all possess a little bit of this of a little bit of this godlike quality in us in our reason right right the stoics were a kind of pantheist they thought god was nature and in particular God had this aspect of reason and also providence. And you can think of that as ability to order, to direct. And then if you think of providence as having a telos, a, a purpose that is geared towards the good in some way. And what Marcus is saying is that each of us, by our own ability to reason, by our own rational minds have that aspect of reason order and also we're social which in a sense mirrors that ability that that aspect of nature that contains providence pursue we can pursue the good for ourselves and for others as well and in that way we we truly are fragments of of the divine yeah and i and to clarify yeah and so to clarify i mean i think that's what i think that's really well put and to clarify what i was saying because i you could read my thing. Well, there's rocks, and then there's people, and people are like God, and the rocks aren't like God. So, but that's not what I. Um, it's not what I meant. I swear. Um, the when you see, when you give the pantheistic position, the idea was that all matter was imbued. Well, all matter had had both a passive principle, which is like inert and has extension, and then an active principle, and that was the divine. But just some of it has more active principle than others, right? Or some of it has has a more refined active principle than others. So we find the most refined or concentrated active principle in our reason. And that's why even though God is in everything, some things are more divine than others, I would say. Some, some, some picture like this, as you said, because you know the ability to be self-reflective, to engage with providence, to direct ourselves, to, under, to contemplate the universe, these are, these are reflections of our, uh, the more divine part of ourselves that you know, for them, plants and animals wouldn't have right right and if you think if you think about what, how how far we've gotten so far from the, the practical perspective at least what i would take from this is we've got we'll dip back into the philosophy but well what what i've got from this so far is that you've got that aspect of preparation preparing to meet adversity from others reminding yourself that their uh, the f- actions are driven by their own idea 
of ideas of what is good and insofar as they're acting poorly they're they're ignorant um and whereas marcus's actions are driven by his view on virtue and so that he's calling himself don't be surprised when others act poorly pursue virtue and one way to do that is remember ultimately we're all on the same team and there you share yeah. uh not not just the rash, rational capabilities but in a real sense partake in the same reasoning process when you encounter adversity in the shape of others that's when you can remind yourself to focus on what's good remind yourself to that others are aiming to do the exact same I always felt like there was a, to add to that, I think it was well put, but to add to that, I always think there was a little bit of Spider-Man in this quote too, of like, with great power, some Uncle Ben, with great power comes great responsibility. Like he's like, they're ignorant, but I've seen the truth and I'm not going to kind of sink to their level. Uh, I'm not going to, I now have this obligation or this uh, potential to stay above that because I know, I know what's what, <laughs> you know, I know, I know what's going on here. I know this stuff doesn't matter. I know it's not worth getting dragged into. And so I need to do that. I don't need to get pulled into it. Uh, I need to use my, my knowledge well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's a, I think, I think that's, that's exactly right. You also get some of that same energy when he says, none of them can harm me anyway, because none of them can infect me with immorality. So that's that thought that reminding himself that no, if a virtue is truly what is good, vice is what is truly is bad, no one can be an ultimate obstacle to my happiness. And there he's probably referencing, if you want to bring out another a philosophical reference here, he's referencing Socrates in the Apology, who notes that when he's standing on trial, his accusers cannot harm him because it's against nature for a better man to be harmed by a worse one, which has a little some cheekiness in it that Marcus Releases line doesn't have, but does share the same teaching that the Stoics got from Socrates, which is this idea that you know the vicious cannot harm the virtuous. I was thinking that I've got two I've got two moods, which is either Stoicism or I guess pop culture, because I was like, this is some Taylor Swift energy. This is some haters going to hate, hate, hate. And you got to shake it off energy right here, right? You got to see the world for what it is. And, uh, you know, you got to shake it off and don't let them, don't let them bring you, don't let them bring you down. Uh, because ultimately you'd be bringing yourself down, right? Cause it's not within their power to harm you. It's within your power to get dragged into the messiness. That's totally up to you. And you can totally make that mistake and ruin your own day, but, but they can't ruin your day. Yep, yep, absolutely. I don't know. I don't know Taylor Swift so well. I must confess. <laughs> I'll send. I'll send a playlist after. <laughs> okay, great. Uh, so Marcus or Laius continues. Nor can I become angry with someone who's related to me, or hate him, because we were born to work together like feet or hands or eyelids, like the rows of upper and lower teeth. So this, of course, this idea also includes, I think, just sort of extends this idea that we are humans, deeply the same, share in the divine, share in that intelligence, share in our rational capacity, 
which uh, suggests that we were born to work together. The vir what's virtuous involves cooperation, involves forming social groups that move together well, forming, if you want to think about this in ancient terms, forming ex excellent cities, families, in more modern terms, neighborhoods, companies, what have you. And that is part of our purpose is this is a social purpose. And it's not, it's not something where your main goal is something that's deeply individualistic. There's no sense in becoming angry with another because they're related to you and involved in the, in the same project in the same project of, uh, human life. Yeah. And what's, what's, I think what's cool there, I mean, is that that's holding you to a higher standard than forgiveness or sympathy or pity or mercy or these kinds of things. It's not saying to look down, you know, the, uh, the eyelid doesn't look down at the, I don't know, maybe the, I bring an eye example. So maybe my metaphor is getting twisted there, but the, the pair of hands don't look down. The left hand doesn't look down at the right and vice versa. They, they cooperate, they work together. The rows of teeth don't look down at each other or, or um, they cooperate. And so what that means is, I don't know, maybe not exiling people, maybe not saying, well, you know, I'm not going to be angry at that person, but I'm, I'm going to totally cut them out of my life or I'm going to not treat them like a person. It's no, it's a higher standard than that. Engage with them, communicate with them, cooperate with them. That's a kind of a, to view the person you're fighting with or, or arguing with or frustrated with as, you know, a one part of a pair that you're the other part of. That's, that's, that's different than just uh, cutting them off. Cause we often think of stoicism about like, you know, focusing on that inner self, that inner citadel, right? Which is another, which is something that, Marcus Aurelius brings up, but, um, you know, an inner citadel is not, uh, one pair of hands working, a pair of a hand working with another hand. That is just, uh, a single hand by itself. This is the, this is the higher goal again of cooperation, which is something I aspire to. And going through this in detail, oh, I could probably do a better job cooperating with the people that make me angry versus learning how to just like numb myself to them or not be upset by them. Yeah, there's, there's, uh, he explicitly calls out the passion of anger, which is going to be judgments about others, judgments that one has been harmed and that maybe perhaps a form of revenge is justified that one should harm others. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's not, several other episodes on, on anger. Uh, but it's not just saying, you know, don't be angry, don't be disturbed, as you say. It's reframe your focus to, work well with these people, live well with them. But I was sort of thinking about Seneca has a quip that it takes two to have a fight, it takes two to have a conflict, which is that reminder that you, you can, as an individual, make a serious difference in ensuring that bad social negative social dynamics don't occur. You can make a, a large difference in that. But it's probably equally true that it takes two or more people to make uh, those really excellent accomplishments that we we see in human history, right? 
where it's not even if you think about individuals who have been famous artists there are people who live in societies whose needs are met by others who are inspired and have interacted with past artists their contemporaries and so on and perhaps just as it it takes i suppose all, all i'm trying to get at is that many of our most uh many of the very good things in the world are necessarily require require more than one person and yeah so i'm purely forming that inner citadel isn't isn't enough you need to be thinking about you know like a kingdom or something of that sort yeah i've got some terrible metaphors today so okay. pretty good, but I was, <laughs> you kept when you kept saying it takes i kept thinking it takes two to tango and i guess a tango could be a bad thing but a tango could be a very beautiful thing and so you don't want to not get on the dance floor i guess um you want to stay there you want to stay there with the other people and you want to teach them how to dance you know teach them the rules of the dance floor so they can become good dancing partners um not just kick them out or not just remove yourself that's a twisted metaphor i mean i think this comes up best i was thinking also about family like who are these people that you know you're 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 really figuring out well how can i make this work how can we cooperate usually that comes in the form of family co-workers people that you find yourself in a position it's a little bit easier to kind of refine your friends, but Marcus Aurelius is writing this here as emperor, talking about you know the 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 presumably whoever is high enough politically up to be in his day to day life. These are not people that Marcus has a choice with, but does have a huge impact in how well they can cooperate in the literal, you know, the, not the literal kingdom, but I guess the the little empire of Rome. So. Yeah, don't don't just kick them out or remove yourself. Figure out how to figure out how to tango. Right, right. I suppose I I also get the sense when I read this passage that look, Marcus Aurelius he does have some ch power in choosing who the officials are, who which cases he gets to see, uh, whether particular Romans should be you know, moved higher, moved high, into higher stations or lower stations, what have you, but. Ultimately, he can't escape that the social life of just the fact that even with that power, he's going to run into the selfish, the malicious. And mm -hmm. perhaps I've certainly noticed in the past that temptation, you know, if I just change uh, jobs or if I just move into a different social group, then everything will be will be much better. And certainly there is some truth to judgments like that sometimes but there's the fact that one should expect you know at the start of every day one should be reminded of oneself remind oneself that you'll face you'll face that social adversity no matter where you are emperor of rome much lower stations employ family friend friend groups yeah that's why i mean that's why the passage appeals to us so much is that we we don't read this and go oh sucks to be emperor <laughs> like that's too bad for you, Marcus. I never deal with anybody who's selfish or ungrateful or uh, dishonest. Um, that that must be really strange of an experience. Like, no, people are people, as you said, and no matter your station or your context, you're going to encounter them. So this advice, yeah, it cuts across every, cuts across any domain as long as it's a social one. And, and that temptation, as you said, to, well, yeah, well, they're not going to be like this at this other company. Uh, like some some cultures are better than others. Don't get me wrong. Some groups of people are better than others, and you should cultivate a friend group and a social group that that 
benefits you. I'm not saying don't do that, but um, you know, wherever you go, you expect people to be people to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you if you don't have a if you don't if you're not mentally prepared for people to be people, you're going to either have to remove yourself or be very fragile. And you want to you want to hopefully be able to muck through it and and get in the get in the weeds without being either of those things. Right. Right. Yep. So the last sentence we have from in this section is to work against each other is therefore unnatural and anger and rejection count as working against. So there's this idea we've been circling around human good is found in like social flourishing as Marcus Aurelius references at another point in the meditations. What's good for the hive is what's good for the bee. And, you know, therefore you can infer that just like the bee humans, goodness is found through working, working with others, living with others. Uh, and to do otherwise is in the traditional stoic sense against nature. It's not unnatural. And then you have this, this, I think what something that's nice about this last sentence is he calls out anger and rejection. And you can think of those as those are two ways in which we might not work well with others. The first is by having negative passions, these mistaken judgments, losing sight of uh, the purpose of our actions. That's anger. And then rejection, that's the actual decisions we make on the day-to-day basis. So you, as he, uh, I think the way I read this is he's writing himself to cultivate good emotions in himself, refrain from anger, anxiety, and but instead cultivates a kind of calm, perhaps uh, stoic joy uh, on one hand, and then on the other, remember to, in the details of day-to-day life, make the decisions that involve working with others as opposed, as opposed to uh, against them. Yeah, dead on. Um, and I mean, we've done a lot of episodes recently, Caleb, about the nature of anger, because if, if you haven't listened to those or you disagree with the Stoics, you might think, well, anger is a pro-social emotion. It's something that I do to get people in line. It's something I do when somebody breaks the social norm to encourage them back in the social norm. Uh, but the Stoics talk a lot about, um, I mean, never anger, because anger, um, anything you can do with anger, you can do without. You can, if, if, you, if, you, if you need to punish somebody so they learn their lesson, if you need to punish somebody to, for the greater good of, of, of the whole, you can do that without being angry. And then second, we, we shouldn't ever aim to punish for the sake of harming the person. Their mistake is harm enough. We talked about this at the start of the paragraph, you know, their ignorance, their, their thinking things that aren't good is good and pursuing those things, thinking things that are bad are good and pursuing those things. Um, that's punishment enough. So we shouldn't ever feel angry or try to punish. Sometimes we might want to try to correct, try to teach, but not in this, not in a kind of righteous anger where we deserve to harm somebody for what they've done. And mm-hmm. so, the, yeah, this anger is a really kind of, it's not, it's not pro-social in any sort of way. It's not the thing you need to feel to stand up for those that need standing up for or to teach those that have done wrong or correct those that have done wrong. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
Yeah, absolutely. I suppose if you want to connect to some other ideas in this passage, anger is that which overleaps reason, which overleaps that our our purposes, that it, our ability to maintain our intelligence, align ourselves with nature, align ourselves with others. Anger instead takes on a logic of its own. You become a puppet to whatever circumstances caused the passion of of anger in you and what Marcus Aurelius is calling us to do, what the Stoics call us to do is maintain that ability to reason, to think well, don't lose one's head, uh, but instead see things as they are. Uh, and as you noted, then our motivation is going to be completely different. We're going to remove the risks of making mistakes that uh, so many, so many passions cause. That's the goal. Yeah, and I mean, that, that all, this, again, so much of Stoicism in this passage. That reason is our share of the divine, right? That reason is the best part of ourselves. And so when, as you said, when we overleap reason, when we, when, I mean, Epictetus makes this metaphor, we become like beasts. And I mean, poor <laughs> Epictetus really, you know, trashing the animals. Some, some beasts are quite sweet. But the, the point there is we become, we become cause and effect, reactive to our environment. We, we just, we, we respond to what happens to us. Somebody insults us, we get angry, we respond. We've overleaped that part of the, that divine part of ourselves, the best part of ourselves, the part that can recontextualize, re-understand, re, um, I mean, well, mitigate that anger and reframe it as something productive and helpful. Mm -hmm. There's uh, another, one of the other most famous passages from meditations is the line that uh, the impediment to action advances action. What stands in the way becomes the way. And Marcus Aurelius continues that passage with, it is in a sense our proper duty to pursue others good, but when they uh, obstruct our proper duty, they become irrelevant to us, like the animals, the wind, and the sun, which is an interesting extension of this idea, which is this thought that uh, other people, if they are consumed by uh, passions, whether they are you know abusive or treacherous, they are in a real sense, are like, for the Stoics, the animals. And there's something one needs to work, you know, it's just sort of something one needs to take into account. You're not, you don't judge animals because of their behavior. You don't judge the wolf because of how, how it acts. Uh, but just sort of take, take them into account as a fact of life. I think there's, a, that's the sort of the Stoic advice where there's some, a decent, a lot of wisdom and truth to it, but I suppose there's also that risk, which is that one might too quickly assume that others are irrational, mm -hmm. consumed by their passions, uh, and bowl over them in the pursuit of what we per perceive as our as our duties, where it could very well be the case that you know we're the ones who are missing out on uh reality i think that's a good point that the idea of like we don't judge the wolf but
the we also all wolves are wolves <laughs> you know if, if we're not sure if it's a wolf or a person it gets pretty confusing and i i think that comes back to the thing we were saying at the start right you actually do end up with a bit of a i guess a bit of an us versus them mentality but only in the most extreme situations and so i i guess the lesson there is, is like be very very careful about doing that um and and it's the right thing to do in the right situation there are some people that deserve that but i guess be careful uh, because you, you, you'd hate to be self-righteously applying that too liberally. Right, right. We want to avoid being in cases where uh, we look back and think, ah, it was me who should have, it was you know, consumed <laughs> by our passions. Uh, it was me all along. Yeah, I think this is uh, one of the most famous passages in me meditations, probably because it comes early, but also because it does have that connection to something that's so it does have the fact that marcus Aurelius, he's the emperor of rome but he's reminding himself to do something that's very relatable meet others it's not always going to be pleasant but remind yourself of you know what your purpose is uh, remind yourself of the fact that ultimately we're we're all on the same team uh and include in, in addition to having some of these these deeper deeper notes about what what's what stoicism is that philosophical system of stoicism in, in the passage yeah it's a very it encapsulates as, as it, just, just as we hit on at the beginning you got your practical ethics you've got your strategies you've got good advice for day to day but you've got a connection to a broader idea about meaning about what matters for humans uh what what we share on a metaphysical level what connects us as part of the uh cosmopolis and so all of that in one of five or six sentences um that's pretty it's pretty it's pretty tight and like pretty um well well written and focused and i think that's that that's a good thing well this is the nice thing about the meditations too there's also this this idea of remind yourself and so when we go back and we reread this we read it for the first time we read it again we do a deep deep dive like today this is a this is a another way of reminding ourselves, right? I don't think there's anything. There's maybe one or two things here that we learned, uh, but a lot of this for you and I, Caleb, is just going back and well, just remind yourself these things. Uh, keep them at the front of your mind. Re reflect on them more so you can actually digest them and make it a little bit easier to practice each time. Right. Yeah. It's about keeping those principles on hand. I think one. Yeah. Totally. Uh, aspect of this that's uh, instructive is its concision. The fact that it's short, memorable, these memorable images of, you know, the malicious and grateful, but also the purpose of the teeth being made to, made to work together. And that's the sort of thing one can make practice of returning mm -hmm. to uh, again and again. Awesome. Anything else? Well, if people have made it this far, and if we release this as our 100th episode, it's really exciting to see people continue to listen to Michael and I's conversations this year, in addition to the interviews and conversations we've had with people come on to the podcast. It's great to get both emails, Instagram messages, messages on Twitter, what have you, from people who are offering suggestions, offering guest suggestions, uh, but also 
uh, you know, asking additional questions, helping us, prompting us to learn more about Stoicism ourselves. So I've certainly learned, and I imagine we'll continue to learn a lot, both from Michael, but both from you all as an audience. So glad that we've made it this far, and I think we'll continue to you know, make this one of the uh, best Stoic podcasts, So, or at least even perhaps even broadly philosophy podcasts. Uh, so thanks for listening. That's uh, that's my note. I don't know if you want to add anything to that, Michael. Yeah. Well, just, I mean, for anybody listening, thank you so, so much for the support in terms of, as Caleb said, in terms of listening, reaching out. Um, any sort of engagement is, is, is much appreciated. I've got to learn so much over doing, doing these episodes. Like we just hit on, uh, uh, in this episode, part of it, oh, well, I'm learning something new or I'm digging into something I haven't done before, or making a comparison to something we haven't done before. But some of it's just going back over the same text you've read time and time again and getting time to sit down and chat about it, dig it into it in detail. Um, this is a really worthwhile experience for me. So if that can be of interest to other people and add value, I, I'm really, really happy about that and looking forward to continuing to grow and getting better at we, what we do too and providing better episodes for you and ones that are more relevant and more interesting as, as we go on. So thanks again, everyone, for listening to episode 100. is very, very cool. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, all. Thanks, Michael. Cool. Thanks, Dylan.